phase is locked and ready to fire, sir. Illogical. Hello, and welcome back to Federation Radio with me, your host, Floyd, once again. Now, I just finished watching the episode 14 from Season 2 called Wolf in the Fold, which I was very confused when I read that title and couldn't quite remember what the episode was, but once I got a little bit into it, I was like, yep, okay, I remember this one, and this one's kind of cool. This one is actually um, a ghost hunting episode to do with Jack the Ripper. Weirdly, of all the things Star Trek could have picked to have done on a planet called Argelius, where we find ourselves, which is apparently a pleasure stop world. So it's one of these you'll see in Star Trek. There's a few of these, these little civilizations like the Argelians that are fully passive. They don't have forces. They don't have anything like that. They are just a pleasure planet. They basically hit a point of development where they just did nothing but drink and have sex and have bars and just their paradise worlds where you just go and have shore leave, which is exactly what they're using it for. And you'll see these a lot. There's I can't remember its name. There's one that they use a hell of a lot in Next Gen and like that whole era. They go there so many episodes and they talk about it all the damn time. But there's a lot of these like pleasure planets. And I'm still a little confused. Like I believe they're a part of the Federation. I think these sorts of worlds do tend to join, because that way they have a bit of added safety, so they can just relax and do their thing, but they allow visitors from everywhere. Now this world, they're here because Scotty, there's been something that's happened, we don't quite know what happened. Some kind of explosion happened in engineering, which caused Scotty to be thrown at a wall and seems to have damaged him, given him a bit of a concussion, but he's mostly fine now. And the idea of this trip is to de-stress him you know stop him from being a bit stressed and i i can't tell whether it was meant to be a serious part of the script or if this is just supposed to be like a joke between two a couple of friends at a table but they sort of joke about how like this is mccoy says this is also to stop him resenting women as apparently a woman calls the explosion engineering they don't actually say who i presume it just has to be one of the engineers i'm not really sure or i don't know if they're implying it's one of the engineers did something wrong and he got injured or whether they're implying he was distracted by a woman in engineering and caused an explosion and hurt himself they don't really say the details so i'm unsure but whatever i in my head i'm going to choose to believe she was an engineer because that makes more sense and they want that now i think that's mostly a joke because like they're friends with scotty they're all friends in the command staff they go to these sorts of places together like it's an excuse the way i've read this scene was it's an excuse between these friends to basically go to a strip club together they just want to go have a few drinks and have a strip club time they just want to not be officers for an afternoon and that's probably very very healthy like, you know, in most military posts, even if you're an officer, you're allowed to go a certain distance off the base. You're allowed to go to a pub. You're allowed to go and have, even if it's just an afternoon of just you time, you're allowed to go do something that isn't your duty. You're allowed to put your, like, medals down for a few moments. You're allowed to put your uniform down for a little bit. Like, you know, they're allowed to be people. Whereas in space, it's more complicated. Like, imagine serving on the Enterprise. You're there for months. It could be weeks between you traveling from planet to planet. You're probably not jumping off of that planet. It could be months, sometimes years, before you stop or get to have real shore leave or like get to go back home at all. So these people need shore leave. So this scene, to me, I've always seen it as a, this is just a couple of mates that they've been through some stressful times. Seems like they're having a bit of downtime at the moment. There wasn't much going on, so they decided to stop the ship by Argelius and have shore leave, both for their officers and presumably some of the crew is also down here on and off while they're around. 
because it's probably very important for these types of things when you're on a ship for this long. Now, I like I said, I think this is mostly a joke because they just, you know, we'll have to bring Scotty down to uh, have a look at the strippers because, well, we couldn't have him hating women after all. <laughs> and, you know, that that's the sort of bullshit I would say to convince a friend to go to the strippers with me. So they go through that and basically Scotty's being all charming and he's really... He's really liking this woman. I didn't actually write down her name, but she's one of the like exotic dancers there. She's doing like a ballet dance thing at the start. And then she comes and sits at their table because apparently Kirk had set it up so that she would and she'd specifically come and look after Scotty and make sure he has a good night. I don't know how far their services go. He offers her to go for a walk and that's what they're doing because he talks about, you know, he's from Scotland. It gets very foggy if you don't know much about Scotland. There's the lowlands and the highlands and the lowlands are very marshy and low and quite often because of the amount of rain and moisture around misty a lot of like mornings and afternoons and stuff in scotland will be very very misty and foggy which is where you get a lot of the english folk tales from going to the north of scotland and seeing the swamp monsters and the beasts coming out of the mist you know you'll see a lot of that type of writing even things like lovecraft he is from new england area of america but he is descendant from the New England area that is mostly filled with people who came, descendants of people who came from these sorts of regions, Scotland, Northern England sort of stuff. So a lot of like that type of mythology all comes from these, you know, Scottish areas where it was very misty. So you get this idea. So Scotty's like, oh, have you ever seen the mist of Scotland? And he's trying to charm her. He's like, why don't we go for a walk in the mist and I'll tell you all about them. You know, they go for a walk. That's fine. After that, McCoy and Kurt go to go to another bar, and as they're sort of talking in the street, I guess, about going to a bar, they hear a scream, and they go running towards the scream, because, you know, they're good people, and they respond when someone's in trouble, and they find a peculiar sight of Scotty holding a knife up against the wall, looking very confused and almost like he's semi-conscious. And then we see the woman he was walking with on the ground with a bunch of stab wounds on it and the knife in Scotty's hand is bloody. And it's immediately an investigation because this is, to, for all intents and purposes, the way this looks is like they have come to visit someone else's planet and on that planet committed a murder. Which means that we'll have, by the way, a lot of these sorts of episodes in Star Trek, these local law supersedes federation law when you're on their world that's a part of the federation these planets have a lot of independence and when you're on those worlds you have to respect their ways or you face their legal system not the federation's one and if you don't respect their legal system they may leave the federation which is usually enough to make most of the captains and stuff be like i don't like it we have to try and work within the bounds of their system though which is a fun way for the writers to do these courtroom scenes and to have these debates and investigations and mystery type episodes and always framing it from a we're on an alien world, this is their thing. Like, depends. They're all a little different, but they're all good. And I think they're a very good excuse to do these types of episodes. So, like, Scotty is now under investigation for murdering this woman. He claims that he doesn't remember anything. He claims he was walking with her, and the next thing he knew, he was being woken up. He was against the wall holding a knife, and he's really stressed about this, because he's like, oh god, you don't think I did it? I haven't done anything. I don't remember. A few minutes ago, she was fine. And, you know, that at first, you're like, okay, cool. I mean, it's Scotty. Scotty has shown nothing but being a pretty good guy for the whole show. Like, you have no reason to suspect that he's lying at this point, and he seems adequately, like, scared, as you would be if this happened to you. So I feel like at first they're really playing up the, like, feel for Scotty. 
And obviously, he has to be investigated, which means he can't go back to the ship because he's under investigation. That would look like they're trying to cover up the guilt. So they have to work with this local guy who runs basically their police department slash, I guess, courts. Because, like I said, Agilius is a pleasure planet. They don't do a whole lot outside of just having fun. So they don't have much of an administration. As he says himself, they're a bit inefficient about it all, and he's not even a local. He's from a place called Rigel 4, and he has come in as an administrator for them so that they can just keep having fun all day and not having to worry about it. And that's it. He doesn't have, like, facilities. It's just him. He knows the lore, and he is basically the one dude. And he comes across a lot more kind of like a slimy bureaucrat than he does any kind of investigator or judge or anything. He's just very quick to make assumptions and just sort of wants to get out the way so he can go back to doing nothing. And, you know, obviously Kirk and all that unhappy with that. They're trying to make sure we fully investigate because they don't believe for a minute that Scotty killed them and they will not have him blamed. And if they have to investigate to find evidence to the contrary to prove that it wasn't him, they will. So they do. Well, they try. They find a few people, and they try and look into it, and they call down a Lieutenant Tracy, who apparently is, like, a psychologist on the ship, or an expert in those fields, and she's bringing something called a psy... What was it? A psychoanalysis tricorder or something? I swear we've never heard that word before. But it, it sounded like it's a special tricorder to scan your memories, to make sh look for trauma, look for, like, mental issues, rather than just physical... Which, apparently, this Lieutenant Tracy is the ship's foremost at, which is why she was brought down. They were given permission by the local governor to, you know, let her come down and that he would listen to their evidence if they found any during her investigation. So, Kirk and all that are sitting in a room with McCoy and this governor, and they're talking about how, apparently, it's been a long time since there's been murders on Argelius. And in the olden days, the way they would deal with it were there were certain families that have this psychic ability... Kind of like the Vulcans to do, it looks almost like a seance type of thing. They sit around a fire and they have the person that's being accused with them. And they do a bit of a seance and they can sort of look into your mind and sort of feel what's happening. I, they weren't exact on how it works, but it's that sort of, they're doing this psychic ceremony. Or they're going to. The murder weapon is going to be in the middle of the circle when they sit in there with a bit of a flame and they're all going to sit. And apparently the governor's wife is a descendant of some of the people who were gifted with this talent long ago. So she is still able to do it, even though most of their society doesn't practice it anymore, because, well, they're a pleasure society. No one murders anybody. They don't really have to do these sorts of investigations very commonly. But, luckily, she has this ability. So they agree Lieutenant Tracy can do her thing, but they say, we'll take that on board, but we're still going to do this seance-type thing with my wife later. That's what the governor says. And Kirk's okay with that. He says, that's fine. All I'm trying to do is prove if my friend is innocent that he is innocent. And he makes a point of, like, mentioning to the governor, you know, the Federation will respect your laws and they are to be respected, but you understand I don't believe he did it. He's my friend and I'm going to try to defend him. Of which the governor holds nothing against him for and says that's perfectly reasonable. So long as he respects the law when it comes down to his decision. And at that point, while they're having this discussion... You hear a scream, and they run into the room where Lieutenant Tracy is supposedly having a one-on-one, -on -one, I presume almost therapy-like session with her equipment and herself talking to Scotty, trying to determine his mental state. They run in the room. The dagger that is supposed to be on top of the fireplace, the fire in the middle of the room that they were talking about earlier, is gone, and it is now 
in Scotty's hand once again, and he's standing over Lieutenant Tracy, who is on the floor, multiple stab wounds, dead. And this looks bad for Scotty again. And even worse, he's holding the weapon, he was alone with her, and this time it wasn't like in a public street. Like, there's only one other door, they say, that goes to that room, and it's from the garden, and apparently it's been locked a long time. Now, not long after this, we get that bureaucrat comes back, and he's got the other two guys that we saw from the strip club earlier. One of them was the musician who left just after Scotty left with her, and the other one was a dude who, if you paid attention to the scene, you'd see he doesn't say anything, and he's not named, but he does get up and he looks quite annoyed when she sits down with Scotty. And we learned that those two people, the musician, is actually the father of the girl that was murdered first. And he talks about how she has danced to his music ever since she was a little girl. And almost immediately that discounts him. Like, it's not impossible for him to kill, but even he seems sincere and like, yeah, it doesn't seem like it was him. But he points out that the other guy that the bureaucrats brought with them, because they've been, mind you, this is like a day later, they've been tracking these men down after getting the stories of who left at what time and all that. So by the time the second murder takes place, he shows up with these two. So the father is there, and then the father says that the other man that left when she sat down with Scotty was apparently due to be married to her. However, he showed a lot of jealousy. He obviously didn't like her line of work, which, you know, understandable. I I feel like most men would be incapable of dating a stripper that's actively working in a strip club. Say what you like about it, but most men are a certain degrees of jealousy, and I feel like they wouldn't be cool with that. Apparently, in the Argelian society, though, they're all about pleasure, and they have a different way of doing things, and to them, this is perfectly normal, and how they do things, and jealousy is seen as a bad emotion that they seem to shun as a society. To the point that the father of the first victim actually says the reason why he is the ex-lover of his daughter and not um, her husband is because he was so jealous, he would argue all the time that he shamed himself and that she left him because of his jealousy. Which then, of course, you're like, okay, it's circumstantially this looks really bad for Scotty, but motive-wise, this guy now looks the most guilty. Because, you know, on Earth, if two murders happen to people, either, you know, one of them could be out of jealousy because it's someone that he's in love with and you're spending time with her, possibly. As I said earlier, I don't know how far that would have gone beyond a walk. I don't know if she's a sex worker or if she's just a stripper and they were just having a nice walk and afterwards it would have been back to drinks. Who knows? But he was jealous in any case, and that's more than enough motive for a lot of men to kill. And then to kill a second time would be good, like, oh yeah, I made it look like it was Scotty, and then I ran out this door, and then I showed up with this bureaucrat so I could pretend it wasn't me, that way I'm framing him. Like, that's the sort of thing a vindictive person does. Or maybe a crazy person who's gone too far with jealousy. So it seems like it's him. However, as the episode goes, you sort of find he is still an Argelian. Like, he... He's basically incapable of violence. They even put him on a lie detector on the ship with the ship's computers registering all of his blood work and his heartbeat and everything, and they're like, "There's, he's not lying. There's no change in his physiology. When he says he's not capable of violence and that he didn't hurt anyone, he's, as far as they can tell, telling the truth. Now, during the seance, because they do decide to do the seance afterwards, because that was what the local governor wanted to do, so all of these people are sitting around at the seance, And we get her, it's really interesting, they sort of sit down and this like Asian woman who is the wife of the governor comes in and she does this whole thing. They're all holding hands with their eyes closed 
And then she starts repeating these, like, almost demonic sort of chants, these, and repeating Regek, the unending, the eater of fear. He is undying, and she keeps repeating things like this, Regek, Regek, and she keeps saying that word. And then the flame goes out in the middle of the room, and everyone is suddenly confused, and then you hear a scream again. And again, when the light comes back on, you see Scotty, with one hand on the Asian woman's shoulder, she is standing up, and then she falls forward onto her husband with a knife in her back, and there's blood on Scotty's hand. And at that point, even, you know, you're watching it, and like, I know he's innocent because I've seen this before, and at that point, even I'm like, God damn, I would, I don't even think in real life if that was my friend, I could keep defending him. Like, there's a certain level where it becomes so many coincidences that you kind of have to accept it might be true. And... Scotty is freaked out, although we do learn after this incident, this time, Scotty was not unconscious. He actually recalls what happened, and when he's put on the lie detector, it doesn't detect any lie when he gives his account. And what he says is that the light went out, he felt something move next to him, something cold, and then he heard her scream, and since he was at her end of the table near her, he stood up to try and help, but something was in his way. He struggles to describe what, but he said there was something cold, there was something solid in the way, but it wasn't a person. But because it was dark, I can't tell you what it was, Captain, but I remember I was conscious this time. I know this is true. And that leads them down this interesting line of questioning. Now, keep in mind, the bureaucrat is sitting next to them this whole time, and he's just not having it. He's like, this is ridiculous. This is the second murder he's done today, where he has been found with blood on him and the knife in his hand. This entire line of questioning, even putting him on a lie detector, is ridiculous. This is obviously the captain trying to cover for his crewmen. This man is beyond doubt guilty, and that's just the two murders today. I think it's safe to say, accounting for that, that he was guilty for the first. And you know what? In his position, you know, I'd probably agree. It, it does seem really super sus, and I'd probably be getting to the point of annoyed if my government kept investigating, like... Come on. At some point, you have to declare guilt and stop spending money. But because the wife had this psychic ability and they are aware of souls and spirits and all these things, and that's a part of their culture, the governor is actually willing to say, well, what he describes sounds a lot more like a spirit or a demon or a ghost of some kind than it does a person. And because they're the sort of society where psychic powers are not just talked about or in their fiction or rumoured or might or might not be true, like, they're certainly true. There are royal families that go back a long way on this planet with this ability. This is a known scientific fact on this world that this shit exists. So for them, they're like, well, what if he's right? What if there was an entity? So they start exploring this, and they go through the ship's logs, and they go through the ship's linguistics bays, and asking it all these questions, and oh, I have to say, that whole scene of Spock asking the computer questions and giving it input and it going through its data and then speculating for him. Man, if you've ever used ChatGPT, I'm telling you, I didn't actually realize how close it was to early Star Trek computers. ChatGPT is almost exactly Star Trek computers. It's actually a little weird to me watching this thinking, I actually have that ability now. I can jump on there and I can input data and ask it to speculate if a certain factor was real. And I have, by the way. I have been on there, and I've, because as an interest, I enjoy the ghost hunting scene and all that paranormal stuff. I I think at this point in my life, I lean more towards, I think some of it is real, even though I still acknowledge a lot of it's fake. I think there's enough out there that I do lean towards it being real. 
but I'm not sold on it. I'm not also one of these people running around making out like it's true and buying all this stuff. Like, no, I lean towards it's probably true, and I find it interesting. Either interesting from a writing or, you know, same as other creatures in fantasy perspective, or interesting because it could be real. Either way, I find it interesting, so I like to research it. And I've spoken to ChatGPT, well, I say I've spoken, I've typed questions in and had sessions with it where, like, I've asked it these questions, like, I've said to it before, I know that ghosts are probably not real, but let's say for argument that it was real, could you go through, like, data we have in our history, How? what is the likelihood that it is real? And, you know, it'll give you real answers. You can actually get it to speculate. You can get it to say, well, if this was the case, then this would be the case. And it will actually go through and do all the theoretical, like, stuff. Which is where it's kind of controversial at times, because people are using it to write, people are using it to write big reports and studies and all sorts of stuff, because you can just ask it a question and it will print you a speculated answer. It's got the AI people, the people that fear AI, freak the fuck out, but... I find it personally interesting and a very useful tool. And seeing on screen in the 60s, like how they viewed futuristic computers in the year 2200s, I'm like, we're what? 2023 now. And I have a free program that I can log into at any point online and basically gives me access to a Star Trek-like computer database that can speculate for me. How incredible is that? Like, in the 60s, they were thinking this would be 200 years away, and we did it in, what, 50 years? Like, that is incredible to me. I love that that is happening. I know people are scared. I'm like, I I don't think the AI is that dangerous. (laughs) I think humans trying to manipulate the AI is more dangerous than just letting it happen. I don't think it's that dangerous. But anyway, we're not talking about AI. Talking about this. So, he's using the computer, and they're asking it all these questions, and... Spock ends up going down this line of questioning with the computer, saying, let's say... No, sorry, he looks up Regic, and he says, can we find Regic? And the computer says, there is no known language for Regic or meaning of the word, but there is, however, one data entry that has Regic in it. And they say, pull that up and read it to us, and it reads out loud the account of Jack the Ripper. Now, I don't know if this was something they made up for the Star Trek episode, because to be honest, I've never looked too much into Black the Ripper. I know he was some kind of murderer that murdered, like, ladies of the night, we'll say, in quite a few numbers in London. And I think there might even be a few other cities where they suspect he was the same culprit because it was similar murders. But the thing that makes him interesting is he was never found. They, I think now they think it was some Polish dude, but even that, I don't know what evidence they have for that after all these time, like... But it's always been one of those fascinating, it comes up in a lot of stuff, and Star Trek decided to make Jack the Ripper not a man who was never found, but a ghost, or not so much a ghost, but an, what do they call it, hang on, I did write it down, an energy being, because Spock postulates to the computer, he says, computer, could an entity exist that feeds on fear, because what she said during her, like, seance thing was, it feeds on fear, it is undying. And they speculate, like, what kind of creature could do this? Could a creature, theoretically, some kind of alien, based on the knowledge we have of the galaxy and all the species we've encountered, exist that is mostly energy but able to take physical form occasionally and feeds on fear? And the computer gives an absolute yes. It says there are three species on record that feed on emotions, and it gives an example of one, forget what it says, but there's a planet somewhere, apparently, where there is an energy-based entity that feeds on love. 
And the computer uses that along with two other apparent examples that they know of to justify that, yes, a creature that feeds on fear is very reasonable. And the fact is that fear is one of the most, like, deepest emotions that we feel. And they even postulate that because just the way humans are, you know, men used to be the hunter-gatherers, we have that fight-or-flight instinct, whereas women tend to not have so much of that instinct. And they speculate that the reason Jack the Ripper focused on women was because you can get a higher, more raw level of terror out of a woman, and if that's what you're looking to feed off as an entity, it makes a logical sense that that's what you'd target. Which also makes sense here, it's targeting these people, and it's framing Scotty. And they start following accounts of this, so that leads them down this idea of, well, let's find other murder cases that were unexplained similar to Jack the Ripper through time and see if we can line up any connections. And it starts reading out examples of, you know, obviously the Jack the Ripper stuff in London. It tells of one in the 70s in Poland. Then it tells of one in, like, the year 2015 on some Earth colony. I think it's Mars colony. And then there's another one that's happened on another planet. And the last example was Rigel 4, where it's been known not that long ago in a mountain clan in the rivers, there were a bunch of unexplained murders about four years ago, I think it was. And everyone kind of looks at the bureaucrat that's been around who's been trying to call Scotty guilty this whole time because they're like, wait a minute, you're from Rigel 4. You're from the Mountaineers. I think you made an offhanded comment earlier about being from the mountains of Rigel 4 in the Riverlands. And the computers basically said that that was where these murders took place about the time he would have left to come and work here. And then they say, isn't it awfully convenient that we weren't sure if anybody broke the lock that leads from the garden to the room where Scotty was with Lieutenant Tracy, and you just happened to show up a few moments after the murder happened with the two other possible suspects in tow? Where were you before this? And everyone starts sort of questioning him. And then they tell him, we'd like you to take the stand, like get on the lie detector machine. We're going to ask you a few questions. And he says, no, absolutely not. And he tries to play the like offended lawyer being like no this is ridiculous we've entertained this far enough it's not ghosts and goblins it is scott he's right there there's been blood on his hands multiple times this is ridiculous except they sort of push it a bit further and then they say as spock gets the next bit of evidence which is brilliant the murder weapon the knife the one that's been used in every murder because it was used in the first murder and then it was the murder weapon sitting on the table which was then used in the second and third murder because of the seance, it was in the room, so it's been the same knife every time. And they find the knife is a special kind of knife made by the mountain clans on Rigel 4 in the Riverlands. And now it's, you know, that's more than enough evidence to be like, all right, you're from a region where murders happen, it's happened with a blade that's come from there, it makes more sense that you brought it with you and that you might have been responsible for both sets of murders than it does that someone happened to have that knife and commit murders when you're around. You know, they try and go after him, and that at that point, he uh, freaks out. He starts trying to kick him and get out of the room, and then he leaves the body and enters the computer system as an actual, like, demonic ghost spirit or energy entity. I don't know what you're supposed to believe it is. He tries to take over the ship. Now, this mostly fails. He, he does some things, like he tries to make the elevators go to free fall and people are in them to generate terror. But Kirk, very quickly, like he does a speech on the intercom and says, we are having shipbound um, errors all over the ship. Please remain calm. 
And then you get Dr. McCoy to go and get some sedative. Apparently it's some very strong stuff and says, I need you to sedate not quite unconscious, but just about everyone in the crew. He's like, if everyone is sedated and everyone is calm, then he will not be able to generate or feed off our fear. Which is actually quite smart. The entity feeds on your fear, giving your people drugs temporarily that give them a euphoric feeling so they're unable to feel that level of terror is actually a very, very smart defense. I don't know how long you could keep that up, because it's probably damaging to people to keep tranquilizing them, but in short term, yeah, really, really good um, counter for him. And it seems to work pretty well. He then tries to use the computer system to take full control of the ship, and Spock manages to fool it by, because he's stuck in the computer system, he tells the computer, alright computer, priority one mission for you. I need you to compute pi to the final digit. Use as much of the computer's databanks as required. And it starts drawing computer databanks basically from everything except the bare minimum needed to run all the life support and, you know, priority systems. Which, of course, means that poor Jack the Ripper is now computing Pi and listening to the computer compute Pi from a very intimate level that must be just almost torturous. And not long afterwards, he leaves the ship. Well, leaves the ship's computer. At that point, nearly everyone on board has been injected with tranquilizer except McCoy, the bureaucrat, and Kirk, and Spock. You know... McCoy says to Kirk, well, I'd rather stay conscious myself in case anyone needs the doctor. And the captain says, no, I'm sorry, Bones, but you're going to have to inject yourself. I need you. I need to be certain that you are not infected by him. I need to make certain he's not hurting you in any way. You need to be sedated. And he just sort of shrugs his shoulders and says, oh, well, if you order, Captain. And he takes it, immediate smile, because mind you, whatever this tranquilizer is, all the crew that have been injected are acting like they're really high. They're all just super happy, they're euphoric, and it's meant to last like five, six hours, so this is going to be an interesting ship for a little while. Now, Kirk's willing to take a chance on not sedating Spock, because Spock, of course, is a Vulcan, so pretty safe bet to say that if anyone on the crew is going to be able to manually contain their terror no matter what Jack does, it's probably Spock. So he rightfully trusts him, and I guess Kirk can control himself to a degree where he can do it too, that or he trusts Spock enough to contain it if anything happens. But the bureaucrat gets up, tries to run. Immediately gets caught, they inject him with the tranquilizer, and then he's like, the bureaucrat's like leaning back saying, Regic, Regic will stab you all, and he's just like repeating all of these, I will murder you all, but it's like, because he's inside the body and it's been tranquilized, the energy entity is also in this state that's almost high which is kind of hilarious. Spock then carries him on his shoulder, and they decide to widely disperse him through the transporter into space. Apparently, he might exist as a conscious entity, but he will no longer be the same entity. He will be split in so many million little particles that he will never be able to form again. So in essence, he might not die, but he's now unable to ever harm anyone again. Which is kind of funny. And I find it amusing, I mean, obviously, sorry, at the end, Scotty is let go because, well, it wasn't him. They had proof. Lucky for him, their society believed in spirits and demons, so if it had been a more logical sort of society like the Vulcans, he probably would have been hung. But he got away with it. Well, he didn't get away with it, he didn't do anything, he was proven innocent. But, like, yeah, the episode ends, a little bit of a joke about McCoy smiling to Kirk about how it's going to be five, six hours that everyone will be like this, and he's like, oh. We're going to have the happiest ship in Starfleet, which is probably true. 
But like, it's a fun little episode. It's a fun little. It's a it's a mystery. It's a ghost hunting. It's an investigation episode. Like, th this wouldn't feel out of place, honestly, as an X Files episode. <laughs> Quite frankly, it feels like one of those types of shows with all the mystery and the paranormal. It's really interesting, and it's really interesting how well it fit into Trek. Like turning a ghost or like demonic entity like that into a energy entity and making it an alien seems like lazy writing when you first look at it but watching it play out on screen it's actually brilliant it's a really fun way to have a ghost hunting story on a sci-fi show which is something you don't often see being mixed and it's always cool when it is but anyway it's like i said it's an interesting episode but other than what i've said there's not a whole lot to say um thanks for listening and the next episode which i am going to be recording any minute now because I love the next episode. It's called Trouble with Tribbles, and it's the very famous episode with the Tribbles. And it's famous because in Deep Space Nine, when it was the... I think it was the 20th anniversary of Star Trek or something like that, they chose to celebrate it by having a time travel episode where the Deep Space Nine crew go and enter this episode and interact with it. Including a Klingon named Worf, which, spoilers... There's a Klingon in the next episode, and that makes it very amusing seeing Worf and Future in this episode. But obviously we will not see the time travelers, because all that stuff doesn't happen on screen for a further 20 years almost in real life. So we're going to watch the original episode unedited and all of that. See you all next time.